You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. We're delighted to be able to bring you episode 96 of Null and Void Sports Podcast. We're particularly pleased when you compare us to the short shelf life of Premier League managers. 12 out of 20 teams have lost their manager so far this season. That's a record. Anyway, you don't get rid of us that easily. And the fact is that we haven't actually had a vote of confidence from the chairman. But we're going to continue anyway. Lots more sports stories to tell you, contacts and a great guest from the world of cricket. My name's Tony Grundy. And mine's Andy Callahan. Now, this weekend for me was blighted by Manchester United's pathetic attempt at being the opposition against your team, Newcastle. A totally fair result, has to be said. A complete reversal of the Wembley performance a few weeks ago. So, pauses, then says, one big other happening in the Grundy household was Mrs G retiring after 26 years of loyal work in the health service and ready for a deserved rest. So that's a big change in our household. Fantastic. Congratulations to her. And does this now mean that you've got some uh, sensible and uh, adult supervision for your uh, garden activities in the daytimes? Well, the, the trouble with all of this is me being under close scrutiny. It's, it's not a good combination. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what about you? What have you been doing? Uh, well, yeah, listeners obviously can't see the smug face that I've got after uh, Newcastle beat United 2-0. Yeah, I thought it was a good game, but I thought United just didn't play to their full potential. And like you said, complete reversal from the cup final at Wembley a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Newcastle, to my untrained eye, seemed to win the midfield battle and that made all the difference. Without doubt. But yeah, apart from that, I was watching a bit of rugby, women's rugby in the Six Nations, a bit of Champions Cup, um, European rugby, and then a Saturday evening out for dinner with some friends in Didcot at a fantastic Turkish restaurant. We've come into it somewhere, yeah. Well, <laughs> good man, good man. <laughs> All right, um, I've got Six Nations rugby up first. That's a good topic. Yeah, I mean, England had a resounding... 68-5 win over Italy, running in 12 tries. And new captain, Marley Packer, who took over after Sarah Hunter's retirement last weekend, um, marked the occasion with two tries on her skipper debut. Um, Harlequin's Abby Dow also scored four. So a really dominant display by the Red Roses there. And uh, I think it's bubbling up nicely for a really great showdown with France at the end of the tournament for the... Uh, Grand Slam because France beat Ireland 53-3 and then Wales beat Scotland in what was a high scoring and really free flowing game 34-22 so at the moment England and France are still the two to beat and uh, yeah they're heading towards that showdown at the end of the tournament April the 28th at Twickenham I think so far 45,000 tickets have been sold for the game which at the moment, is a world record for tickets sold. So hopefully we can then get the world record for fans through the gate as well, which would beat the uh, record from the World Cup final in New Zealand just mm. in the autumn when England lost to the uh, to the Kiwis on their home ground. But that was 42,500. So hopefully 
Twickenham can beat that in April. But it'll be a really fitting finale to what's been a really great display by England and France at the moment. Good to watch, though. Now, uh, football, we talked at the very start about the 12 Premier League managers this season uh, are now part of, of history. That's a new record for sackings. And the season hasn't finished. We've got 10 games to go. So I just, as, as a sort of moment in history, I'll name the names. Potter, not Harry. Rogers, Conte, Vieira, Lampard, Jones, Marsh, Hassenhutl, Gerard, Lager, Tuchel and Parker. So far, those are the names. Graham Potter, for instance, ex of Chelsea, we can definitely say, lasted seven months into a five-year contract. And cumulatively, if you looked at the amount of money these guys have got in compensation, it's a phenomenal amount of money. Now, at the bottom of the league, there's a real dogfight for the three relegation places, with seven teams above that relegation position still could go down. It really is a very difficult one to call. At the top, Arsenal and City continue to move away from the rest. And that's too close to call as well, uh, although Arsenal have, are, have got points advantage at the moment. So after last night's uh, point for Spurs, Manchester United, bear in mind we're recording on a Tuesday evening, Manchester United go down to fifth. It's a tough old world, isn't it? Tonight, Chelsea play Liverpool. Both those teams, by their standards, are really struggling. So it'll be interesting to see mm. what happens with that. Uh, WSL, the women's football. In the week, Arsenal and Chelsea moved towards the semi-finals. Both of them did do that of the Champions League. Arsenal looked very powerful and Chelsea won through on penalties after drawing level in the very last minute of extra time and winning on penalties. That Arsenal, was a penalty as well in, in regular time that pulled them level, wasn't it? Um, that, absolutely, that was the last very kick last of the minute. game. Yeah, and the person who took that also had to be one of the takers a few moments later, and that takes a bit of guts as well. Mm. So Arsenal now face uh, Wolfsburg and Chelsea play Barcelona. So an all-England final is still very possible. Let's watch that space. In the league matches at the weekend, there was a full programme. Manchester United remained top, but only just but closely followed by Arsenal, City and Chelsea. That's going to run and run, that one. Uh, I got athletics next. And, you know, we keep bringing you world records because there's loads around at the moment. Well, here's one in the 800 metres that only lasted seven minutes. Allow me to explain. <laughs> Firstly, British... Uh, athlete Virginia uh, Mitchell became the oldest woman at 60 years to break two minutes 30 in the 800 meters. Two minutes 30, 800 meters, blimey, uh, in the Masters event. Then only seven minutes later in the women's 55, as it's called, race with athletes between 55 and 60, Sue McDonald, the American, finished four seconds quicker than Mitchell, breaking 2.25 for the same distance. The twist being, McDonald became 20, uh, 60 years old just after the start of the tournament. That must be really difficult to take for the Brit. 
set, but the weird things keep coming up on these. Uh, I've got Alice McColgan uh, next uh, elsewhere. She broke her own half marathon record, which stood her own uh, um, her own race time of 66.20, coming in this time at 65.48. Elish is now two weeks away from running in her first ever marathon, the London Marathon. So it'll be fascinating to see how she does then. She's gearing up. I mean, the talk, I watched an interview or read an interview with her and her mother, who's her coach and obviously a great distance runner and former marathon champion herself and uh you know they they both talked about the fact that um Ailish was originally reluctant to make the move up to the longer distance but actually they've talked about the the longer the distance the more sort of she takes on and can can really withstand the suffering and that just mm-hmm. a brilliant performance in the half marathon and i think that teaser up nice it'll be great to see how she goes in london in a couple of weeks time yeah, it was actually a weekend where there were a lot of uh, marathons and half marathons and one near to us and the, the Reading Half Marathon took place on Sunday with 12,000 runners roughly. The winning uh, runner was Ollie Lockley from Leeds Athletic Club and he came in in one hour and four minutes. And first lady was Naomi Mi- uh, Mitchell in one hour 14, in 14th overall place. And she's from Reading Athletic Club, again, local to us too. So interestingly, if uh, Elish McColgan had run in that, she would have probably, well, she would have been one minute behind the winning male. So it just puts in perspective just how good she actually is. Yeah. I've, I've got cricket next, Andy. There's quite a bit there, but also... Yeah, we've got a guest later, haven't we, talking yeah. about Yeah, so, I mean, without stealing our guest's thunder, he's going to talk more about sort of domestic game. But um, I think the first thing is the uh, two-year saga of the uh, investigation by the ECB into the Yorkshire racism allegations finally came to a bit of a close with the Cricket Disciplinary Committee publishing its findings from the hearings earlier on in March. So... Um, a number of charges were upheld, but probably the most high-profile case was Michael Vaughan. And his case, the charges were unproven. I think overall, though, the way the case has been conducted by the ECB has been shoddy and would definitely not have stood up in a court of law. I think um, the adversarial nature of the hearings as well actually meant that the way they were conducted means that no one gets real justice, you know, either... Um, as in Rafiq, who made the allegations originally, or the people who were charged and either cases proven or not proven. Um, a lot of those people who had been charged refused to take part in the hearings because the ECB had been poor in even allowing them to see the full uh, evidence rather than just evidence relating to them and the, the specific allegation. So absolutely, in terms of, you know, if this had been a a legal case, would have been thrown out before it even got there because the facts weren't made available to everyone. So really badly run by the ECB, irrespective of outcomes or results. But Michael Vaughan was the one who has been adamant all along that he didn't say what he was accused of saying. And as it was, that this was proved or or the case was not proven. And, you know, he's 
can therefore feel justified in defending himself in that. But even he said that, you know, no one has really been, the, the game hasn't been served well. No one has been served well by the way that the ECB conducted this uh, these hearings. So obviously it is a problem and a challenge within uh, cricket at the top level because, you know, there's been the Yorkshire allegations, the Scotland allegations. What I would hope is that the ECB can learn from this and actually start to conduct these in a more investigative investigative manner rather than an adversarial manner to actually get to the bottom of things and resolve this in the game rather than it being pitting two former teammates against each other. And basically the way it works is you're saying that one's lying and one's telling the truth from an incident that happened 14 years ago and probably recollections are both going to be muddied by that distance of time. In more positive news, though, um, the men's Indian Premier League is kicked off with some great games in the first rounds. Uh, Mark Wood, the England fast bowler, took his best ever T20 figures, and in fact, the best ever T20 figures for an English bowler, taking five for 14 um, for Lucknow Supergiants in their win and his debut for them in their win over the Delhi Capitals. But then in Lucknow's second game, Moeen Ali took four for 26 as they were beaten by the Chennai Super Kings. But frustratingly in that game, the England Test captain, Ben Stokes, having said that he would only play the early rounds of the IPL as a batter for Chennai in order to protect the injured knee and the problems that he's had with that, uh, opened the bowling in that game um, against the wishes of the ECB, against the wishes of England fans, and a major concern with the Ashes just two months away. Now, some could say that it might be a good thing. It could mean that the knee is recovering faster. But given that two weeks ago they were putting injections into it just to get him out to uh, the IPL, I'm not so sure. So a bit of a concern there. And we'll, I guess, watch this space. It's very early into the tournament. Over the next month, that will unfold. But with the Ashes only two months away, not a good sign. He'd said he was only going to be a batter and already he's opening the bowling. Yeah, says it all really, doesn't it? Um, mm. OK, uh, next up I've got golf. Uh, the Masters begins at Augusta, America this Thursday. Both LIV and PGA golfers are taking part. That hasn't happened with every tournament. Augusta, Augusta is a magnificent setting. So even if you're not into golf... Uh, Turn it on and have a look, because even if you're into gardening, you'll be amazed by the the, the way the greens are kept and, and all the greenery around it. I think it's rhododendrons there. You know, fantastic sight. Mm. Worth seeing. Worth seeing. Um, but it will be a great tournament. The big favourite to win is uh, Scotty Scheffler, uh, who's world number one at the moment. Um, but whilst clearly Rory McIlroy uh, will chase him, all the way. Interestingly, last week at Augusta, the women's amateur tournament took place. Uh, the American uh, Rose Zhang claimed the sudden death playoff uh, in the final that went to three holes. She beat Jenny Bay. And this next weekend, week it's also going to be um, the last tournament for Sandy Lyle. Um, so it says I'd forgotten that well, uh, remember, British yeah. and Ryder Cup uh, golfer. Um, he played his last tournament on the Champions Tour 
last weekend, meaning that Augusta will be the 65-year-old's last tournament. And my first memory of the Masters is actually watching Lyle win the green jacket in 1988. He beat Mark Kalkovecchia um, coming into the last couple of holes and a great chip out of the bunker to uh, to win the hole and win the tournament. So, yeah, that's my very first memory of watching the Masters. So fitting that this weekend, the guy that sort of started the ball rolling for what were then a number of British wins in a row with Nick Faldo and Ian Woosnam, um, fitting that he bows out where probably one of the scenes of his greatest win. Yeah, good memories and a fantastic player over the years. Great ambassador for the game. Uh, next week, we've got golf pro Andy Wilde as a guest to cast his expert eye over proceedings at Augusta this week. So something to, look for, something to look forward to there. Um, i got cycling next. And this is an interesting one because I don't think everybody will agree with this. But one fact we can put in at the very start is three years ago, at the start of lockdown, the government... Uh, with a two billion pound investment over the term of the parliament, cycling was given a great boost. Interestingly, some research is suggesting the bubble may have burst. In November 2021, research showed only 13.1% of adults in England, anyway, cycled more than once a week. The figures have gone up uh, in 2022 but they're still less than in 2020 when that investment was first made. Only 6%, another figure that comes out of the research, cycle for leisure, I guess people commuting more, uh, and bike sales were actually down 20% year on year. Prices went up during lockdown, but people were buying them like crazy. But at the moment, the sales are down. Frankly, the figures seem a little counterintuitive to me. I don't know how you feel as a cyclist, Andy, but recently a major women's event kind of goes with the research that was due to happen here was cancelled at the last minute due to lack of funding. Yeah, so, that was a British is, women's is tour, which is the female equivalent of the Tour of Britain, and it's been cancelled due to a funding shortfall in sponsorship of £400,000. And in fact, three of the four leaders' jerseys, so I think the actual lead race leaders' jersey, the young riders' jersey, and the sprint jersey didn't have sponsors. It didn't have a title sponsor. So that's gone. The Tour de Yorkshire, um, which was sort of at its real peak, uh, you know, 2012 to 2015, that's also now disappeared from the calendar. And recently, Pro Team... Uh, 8085 Pro Cycling has folded. So um, it seems to be that the sport at the top at the top end of the men's game, you know, with the Grand Tours, seems to be quite healthy. And according to a report by um, Metro, it seems to be that the local club scene is quite vibrant. It's that middle bit, what they call the domestic uh, racing and tournaments, where you know councils are not willing to put the funding in. Because of the cost of living crisis, riders are not prepared to pay high entry fees anymore. Sponsors are tightening their belts. Um, so it seems to be that there's not uh, not the opportunities there and not the funding there and things like that. And, you know, race organisers are really then 
struggling to put those races on in a way it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting one because uh, say it's in some ways it seems counterintuitive because lots of people talking about cycling but the suggestion was that uh, adults uh, males particularly 50 plus was a strength but a lot of the youngsters were not coming through uh, uh, and anyway we'll There'll obviously be more on that, but I just picked up on those figures the other day. Yeah, I mean, the demographic, as you say, without youngsters coming through, I mean, the research was done in 2017 that showed the average age of the Tour of Britain viewer was 57. So, you know, they're looking yeah. at now how do they attract in younger, not just participants, but younger viewers to some of the events. It almost seems to be that if it's not the Tour de France on the road and if it's not um, the Olympics on the track, then... A lot of people tend to forget about cycling um, through the rest of the year. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, there will obviously be more on that, but I thought we'd introduce the thinking because I know we've got, for null and void, quite a few keen cyclists and they may have opinions about that. Well, we'll see. Um, I've got boxing next, just a, a, a sport I, I don't particularly follow, but many years ago when I first saw An Anthony Joshua in the Olympics, I thought, wow, he looks something special. And that's fair comment. But in fact, the fight he, he won, and fairly easily at weekend against Jermaine Franklin, lots of people said in advance of that meeting, if he didn't win, that was probably the end for Joshua. Well, as ever, he has won. And um, they're now talking about Tyson Fury fight. So off we go again, another money bags thing. So yeah, he won at, won at weekend. We don't normally talk too much about boxing, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Mm. Um, I got tennis next. And interestingly, this week, Wimbledon has followed other major tournaments in lifting the ban on Russian and Belarusian uh, players. They can play effectively under a kind of neutral flag status and other conditions they've got to meet. Um, and I, so we'll see. I, I guess they had no option in a way, Wimbledon, but to make that move. But it, it won't be to everybody's liking. Ask so Semco we, how that competing under a neutral flag is working out for world athletics. Yeah, quite. Competitors. Quite. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Talking about tennis, there was a tournament in uh, Miami at weekend. Uh, Medvedev won the men's over Sinner and uh, Kivitova won the women's over Rai Bakina. So that was a tournament that was happening that top players were there. I got rugby league next, Andy. Yeah, it was the uh, Challenge Cup fourth round and the fifth round draw is complete. This is the last round before the Super League teams join for um, the lower level clubs. So the lower level clubs are vying for four spots in the last 16. So... Dewsbury pulled out a surprise win over Widnes um, to book their spot against London Broncos. And then another tie that really stands out, both for me from being part of my old stomping ground and what is two former giants who've fallen on harder times in their local derby, Halifax will take on the Bradford Bulls um, for a place in that round of 16. So uh, great stuff. In the actual Super League, um, my Rhinos kept up their win one, lose one record with a defeat at the weekend. But uh, uh, wait, Warrington still unbeaten at the top of the table. So uh, they're, they're still going from strength to strength. But yeah, it's a Challenge Cup and it'll be interesting to see 
who makes it through now and then the draw against the big boys for uh, on the road to Wembley. OK, uh, up to our 10th spot so far tonight. Netball, the Super League reached the halfway point. So looks like a great season. Uh, not nearly as close out of the top four, but the top four really tight. Um, the significance of that is the playoffs in May come from that final top four. Currently, Surrey Storm are top, but only on goal difference from London Pulse and Manchester Thunder. They're all on 24 points, those three. And Loughborough Lightning are in fourth on 21 points. At the weekend, Thunder won against Strathclyde, uh, 61 51 and Lightning beat uh, Seven Sirens 61 41. Okay, 11th sport, Andy, F1 in Australia. Yeah, now I'm not an expert here, so please forgive my ignorance around red flags and emergent safety cars and all that sort of thing. But the Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne, um, I think we could almost record this each week. Max Verstappen won, but real controversy. Um, the race was stopped three times with red flags and crashes and arguments over whether they should have been red flags or stoppages abounded. But the second one happened with just two laps to go. But almost immediately that they started, straight after the uh, restart, Ferrari and Alonso crashed into each other. And then the two point drivers crashed into each other and took each other out of the race. <laughs> so you'd have taken your teammate out. Um, you know, yeah. not a great start there, which then meant that the third red flag was shown. And um, what would normally happen is the safety car would then lead them back round to the start point, um, back to the grid, and then a standing start for the uh, to, to race on from there. But actually, with the race car taking them round that lap, they ran out of laps. That was the last lap of the race. So it then meant that placings reverted to back before the final red flag. So Alonso, despite having crashed, finished in third. So a real pickle there in terms of what was happening and how. And I think, you know, basically they're trying to still pick through the ruins of that final race in Abu Dhabi a couple of seasons ago and re come up with some solution as to how to resolve the issue. And as yet, the, the FIA and Formula One have not come up with a solution that fits. So there was uh, some grumblings and moanings about that. But at the end of the day, in the record book and in the points, Max Verstappen won again. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you had to explain that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, the next thing I got up there was racing at Aintree. Um, We were big supporters, as I know a number of our listeners were of Doddy Aid earlier on in the year and there was actually a horse named after him that won in the first flat meet of the season at Doncaster so Doddy's impact um which was ridden by wonder kid boy jockey Billy Luckman he's still an apprentice and only 17 and he's got something like 35 winners to his name already uh, he won at Doncaster on Doddy's impact and what was really great was the owners said that 50% of their winnings from that race will be put straight into the My Name's Doddy Foundation, which obviously supports motor neurone disease. So fantastic for them. And all the photographs were there with uh, uh holding the uh, Doddy Aid scarf, scarf, the blue and yellow uh, Doddy Foundation scarf. So brilliant to see that. Excellent. Okay. Um, 
Just a quick one on contacts. I don't know if you've got any, Andy, but um, Mike Smith, in response to my elite group mailing, saying it was episode 95 I was sending out, said, only five to go and a chance to raise your bat. Quite right, Mike. Uh, we're proud of getting so far. But as we often do say, null and void doesn't add up to too much. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll take it as we are. But uh, have you got any contacts, Andy? No, no, but just say, obviously, the nervous 90s and what we don't want to do is join the 99 club, those that were out on 99. So uh... No, and, and, we ha and, and as we said earlier, we haven't had a vote of confidence from the chairman yet, so you never know. Um Okay, we've uh, on um, Get a Grip this week. I can't believe we're so calm about not being angry enough to have a Get a Grip, but we haven't. So you're blessed tonight without our, uh, us getting really worked up about anything. Well, we have, because... have had feedback that we're uh, the last couple of weeks when we've been doing Get a Grip, we've sounded like a pair of moaning old gits. So I Didn't think your mum, wasn't that your mum saying that? It was my mum saying that, yeah. So uh, feedback from family. <laughs> <laughs> We've taken heed. We'll give you a break this week, folks. Yeah. So I'll tell you what, uh, Andy, what about introducing our guest tonight? We've been looking forward to that. Yeah, really looking forward to this. So uh, I first met Graham, our guest tonight, through scouting in Oxfordshire in the late 90s. And he probably won't uh, thank me for reminding him it was that long ago. But uh, that's how long ago it is. But we've asked him on tonight because um, with the start of the domestic cricket season, uh, when the pod goes out on Thursday, that's actually the first day of the domestic cricket season, wanted to talk to him about his involvement in local cricket, um, both on the field as a coach and also behind the scenes, and also the requirements on volunteers and how much it takes to actually help run local clubs. So without further ado, it gives me great pleasure to introduce to our listeners Graham Ledger. Hi, Graham. How are you doing? Hi, Andy. Good to uh, speak to you again. Hi, yeah. Graham. Nice, I nice to say hello. Can I uh, slightly off offbeat in the first place? Point is that uh, Graham Ledger is somebody who I have known for nearly forty years in commercial radio. My life in commercial radio. He was uh, a radio presenter, a very good one, a program director, station director. Then uh, drove buses. Uh, and then became a street pastor in Cheltenham. So I don't know what you're going to tell us about your background, but that's quite an interesting eclectic mix, don't you think? But Graham Ledger, when, when Andy said, my good friend Graham Ledger, I said, my good friend Graham Ledger, you know, so there's a little bit of confusion. But anyway, very welcome tonight. Nice to see you, mate. I can't promise I'll live up to uh, standards of uh, commercial presenter, obviously. <laughs> Anyway, what, we're, we're not asking that. So we obviously we're going to talk cricket, and you've been involved in your local club. Is it Stanwell, Graham? Uh, Ashford, Ashford Cricket Club. Ashford. Oh, sorry, apologies. Ashford. Is it four years now? Uh, uh, five years. So yeah, four to five years. Um, so I'm relatively new um, into you know, given my age, into the world of cricket. Um, I know you know many people that have grown up with it through. Um, childhood I actually got involved with the local club through my son's involvement um, so uh, I didn't know a huge amount about it and I know a little bit more than I did when I first started so uh, a nut I may be and you got involved is it through the ECB all-stars um, coaching program is that right 
Yeah, it's a um, so so the All Stars program starts for for kids when they're age five, um, mm-hmm. five to eight year olds, and it was a real introduction to cricket. So my my late father in law um, was a big cricket fan and a big cricket player, um, MCC life member, and. I wanted my son to, you know, get an opportunity and he was keen. So th- the opportunity came up and it was a real easy introduction on a Sunday morning over eight weeks. And uh, they just learned some basic skills and it's turned out to be a really good feeder for the club as well. The ECB has put quite a lot of money into this, haven't they? I mean, ECB gets criticised for all sorts of things. We were talking about them earlier in another context, but this is a very positive thing they've done there particularly with the youngsters and and they have coaches who come around to train them as as i understand it yeah yeah so they have um some of the county coaches will will, will come around and support but they also um sort of uh hub their uh training so to have what they call activators so um a few of us from the club have been to um the oval to go through an evening session to get an understanding of 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 what's going on and and they provide a really comprehensive eight week program for all of the coaches um to go through so as a volunteer when you turn up you have one or two people that really know what's going on and then you've got a few of us that are that are helping out on whatever drills have been organized and over the past few years we've got familiar with them um and I got involved because I looked at it and I thought well at the level they're at, age five, six, I can throw, hit, catch a ball, um, or bowl, field, and bat, as uh, as I would be corrected by uh, some of my friends. But <laughs> I thought, well, it, it's it, there's a lot of it around parental engagement, so we try and get the parents involved, and you know, and you often need that when you've got twenty, you know, twenty young people, you know, whacking balls all over a cricket pitch. You know, it's. Uh, <laughs> Organizing chaos at times. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you, you actually, you really enjoy that. I mean, I think you did say somewhere that you hadn't played that much cricket yourself. And, and somebody might say, well, how can you coach people if you've not actually played? Um, well, again, as I say, you know, at, at that junior level, it's, it's, it's less about the you know the absolute refinement this is about encouraging and giving people a great opportunity through all stars to to get you know both parents and children you know excited about cricket and that's where i've grown my excitement from so there are people on our team that have got a lot of experience and therefore you know i get partnered up with somebody that knows a bit more about me or a bit more than me should i say and therefore we work as a really good team and I pick stuff up from them. But again, it's five to eight year old coaching. This isn't, you know, first class cricket where you're gauging, you know, how wide the gate needs to be or, you know, exactly the angle of the bat and how you're going to hook it or whatever. So at that level, it's a great opportunity. And that sort of frees other people up that have got more skill to be able to actually coach, you know, the, the higher levels. And, and junior cricket into sort of hardball. So All Stars is about softball and, it, you know, it's 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 a lot of fun, a lot of engagement, but uh, it's then sets young children up to get involved, you know, aged eight with, uh, with, with the junior training and start progressing through. 
Mm, that was one of the things I was actually going to ask you, Graham, because I remember as a kid, you know, playing at, at school. Well, I was one of those that came through and played at school, but at sort of 10, 11 and being absolutely petrified of this rock hard ball being hurled down at me, uh, you know, from 22 yards away by what seemed like lads who were much, much bigger than me. Uh, my growth spurt came a bit later on. And uh, yeah, you know, it was almost like, you know, how, how can I find all the pads? And if I could have put on a hockey goalkeeper's outfit to go out and face, I would have done. But uh, yeah, the fact that it's a softball, I guess, builds that confidence for, for the youngsters before they then start, you know, those that want to take it further and really enjoy it. Then as they move up through the age groups, we'll start to move into hardball and a bit more of, of the sort of what we see as the the same game as the, the sort of adults play. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, my, my son last year moved from softball to hardball, so it was his first year playing with with hardball. And you know, that's a learning experience, <laughs> and that doesn't go <laughs> according to plan. And uh, you know, he had me taken down the nets, and uh, I, I very quickly uh, found myself a dog ball thrower or a cricket <laughs> ball equivalent. And uh, yeah, a couple of times he's looked at me. And it's like, slow down, Dad. But, uh, you know, it, the balls of, go of, down there quick enough that way. Yeah, well, one of the things I noted, you know, just to setting the scene for somebody who might be listening, thinking this would be ideal for my grandchildren or whatever. Uh, um, one of the things I noted is that funded by the ECB, when the children sign up, they actually get a branded kit sent to them. Is that correct? Uh, it is, yeah. They get a... Um... A personalized t-shirt they don't have to have it personalized but they get a t-shirt um each year they get a kit bag in the first year um i think it just had uh some you know a ball a bat some some information about the game and then for the second year they then um gave out a slightly bigger bag that had a set of stumps in it um you know a slightly bigger bat you know balls and, and you know some merchandise so yeah you know it, it when you sign up it gives you they, they give you absolutely everything you need um, to get started. You turn up with that kit. Um, there's additional kit at the clubs just to make sure, you know, that there's plenty of balls and additional kit that goes round. But uh, it's, yeah, it's been brilliant, um, you know, really easy. And they, they've also just recently created a um, scheme called Dynamos, which I think is 8 to 12 for, for, for the clubs that, um, you know, want to grow that on. And they're also... You know community groups that run this as well so whilst there's one all-stars program that runs um at ashford um run through the club there are other community groups in the area that you know another one set up another another group so you know it, it's it's accessible by you know all kinds and they say the program's really well structured so if you know a little bit you can you can run the program and uh, it's enthused me and enthused my son no end Fantastic. And I know before we get into the off the field stuff, Graham, I know that from social media posts you put up that then you and your son have gone to watch games as well. And is that sort of, you know, did that come from being involved at the club that you've then decided to go and watch some of the some of the games and things as well? Yeah, we were we were really lucky in uh, 2019 when the uh, World Cup was uh, was hosted in uh, in England that. Uh, we were selected as one of the clubs to provide mascots for one of the games at the Oval. Oh, wow. Um, so my son being the shortest got to walk out first with the Sri Lankan um, <laughs> captain. 
um, for Australia versus Sri Lanka. And But as part of that day and that experience, they then got to play the outfield at uh, the turn of innings. So, uh, you know, they provided the sort of um, game sort of, you know, during that, uh, that turnaround. They got a tour of the ground. And off the back of that, you know, they've been able to meet, you know, England players um, and, you know, it, it, it's something that, yeah, you know, they've opened up a lot of doors. Um, wow. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I just had, didn't realise how famous the Oval Ground was as well in terms of its importance to a, a whole range of sports. Yeah, I mean, rugby, football, cricket, it, it's all, sort of all happened there as well, hasn't it? it I, I forget what was held there. Was it the archery was held there at the Olympics? It was at Lords, But, yeah, you know, it's, it's hosted all sorts of different events. I mean... I know the hundred has sort of really divided opinion between the sort of you know people, the traditionalists who say, "Oh, you know, it's it, it's it, it's pajama cricket and slap bang wallop," and those that say it's attracting fresh blood. Have you seen new people coming into the club off the back of things like the hundred as well? Um, not not directly off you know off the hundred um, into the club, but you know I've I've been to a few matches. It's a very different um atmosphere um to to some of the other events you know there's a a bit more you know razzmatazz of uh you know events around the stadium and, mm. and, and music i think if it does bring in new blood and and other people then as long as there's time on the schedule and it's not you know there's you know there's plenty of great players out there um then i'm sure it's a good thing I, you know i just it does become quite crammed across the you know, I was looking at the calendar this year. You know, we've got an Ashes, we've got you know ODIs, we've got T20s. You know, and you can just see similar names at you know county, international level, and then being pulled in. You know, I do hear that, but I think sometimes you just you know we've got to try something different. And I think if it's bringing people in, it's it's pitched as a short evening activity. I think it mm. works really well, or an afternoon. And I think where it's really helped, and certainly with the the sort of coverage that the draft got last week, is the women's game, domestic women's game. You know, it's sort of set up a, a really good professional window and platform for that to grow further. I mean, I know Tony and I are off to uh, off to as we're calling it the Washes, the women's Ashes, uh, one day international in uh, Southampton this year, and I've got a couple of tickets for both days at the Test matches and the. Uh, T20 in the women's. I didn't go for any of the men's, went for all women's this time. But yeah, you know, so I think, you know, it, it's that's where maybe people miss it as well. It's growing the game in in other areas as well as, you know, sort of, as, as we said, bringing in new people who maybe wouldn't have considered cricket because it's now seen as an evening entertainment or a late afternoon entertainment in the school holidays rather than it being five days. You know, for those of us that enjoy the game, five days can be spared or or found a window. I mean, I, I've given myself virtually jet lag without leaving the country on uh, Winter Ashes tours, usually to no avail, watching England lose 4-1, 5-0 and those sort of things. <laughs> but uh, but in terms of then your involvement off the pitch as well, Graham, so you, you, you were involved in coaching, but there's also a lot of support you give the club off the pitch. Yeah, you know, it's one of those areas where I think, you know, you look at, you know, any of the, you know, I was looking, there was, you know, 5,000 cricket clubs across England. Um, and 
it, you know, it takes a village to to run them. You know, you go in there and um, you know the scores are on a chalk um, blackboard, um, and you know there was some discussion about, hey, can we get this on some kind of a digital signage and working in data visualization and data analytics? I was like, yeah, we can we can have a look at that. So it's sort of innate, you know. We've got some digital screens up now, you know, relatively cheap and free. Um, but being able to share content, you know, promote what's coming up, you know, build, you know, build a bit more content. Um, but as you look across the club, you know, there, there's, there's all kinds, you know, this weekend there were teams down, um, you know, getting the ground ready, um, you know, getting everything out of storage, cleaning stuff down. Um but it takes a whole bunch of skills to, you know, not it's not just about playing, it's about all of the other areas. So, you know, I think there's, you know, there's plenty across the clubs for anybody that's uh, that's willing to volunteer and, you know, use some skills they've got to, to help behind the scenes as well. Yeah, I guess it's not something that clubs would instantly think of is the, as you say, sort of data visualisation, data analytics being um, a role that would have, something that has a direct link, but as you've shown, it, it really does, as well as then the other other areas in sport. If you're looking for someone to work on the pitches, then my co-host Tony is always talking about how he's mowing and uh, flattening his five lawns. So uh, that's pretty much a cricket outfield there, Tony. Yeah, it, it is. But, I, you know, uh, Graham, I, I played village cricket in a little village here in South Oxfordshire, and I know the positive effect that the efforts of a cricket club can have on the rest of the village if it's done right. And I would suggest with some of the things you're doing there, you know, I, encouraging the youngsters in the way you are, um, would help that effect in, in the local village, Ashford, you know, because uh, I know it had that impact here. Not everybody's happy, you know, uh, but the cutting of the grass was one of those things and the picking up on there. It, the grass keeps growing, doesn't it? You've got to have a crew of people doing that. You keep it in good shape. But you want to make it, when you play the home games, a real day where people want to come, be there and enjoy the whole event, even if they're not particularly interested in cricket. It's a proper village happening. Yeah, you know, it's it's something you can, you know, of an afternoon, you can sort of lose yourself, you know, at local, you know, at the local cricket level, um, you know, sit down, meet up with some friends, you know, it's, it's quite a social um, environment as well. So, uh, yeah, you know, and, and you never know quite what's going to happen. You know, it's uh, it could be over and done with a bit like a T20 or you, you could be there waiting for the sun to set kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, some of the – that's one of the things you can usually um, – hazard I guess is going to happen on a regular basis is there going to be wickets lost certainly in our team you know it, it was the case but it, it was uh, the, I remember the lady who particularly looked after the tees and she organised everybody and and I remember one game where um, we came off early for some reason I can't remember you know usually there's a set time tea time but we'd had to come off early. And she was furious because the tees weren't ready, you know, and we were coming off. So it's it's a whole world you come into contact with that's that can be good fun uh, and and people enjoy that. So I definitely appreciate clearly the efforts you're putting into that. And is there a programme, you were talking about the 8 to 12s, is that the thinking to get even more and more 
people involved in the different age groups. Yeah, you know, so it's it's something I think you know across the club they you know they've looked at, but they've got quite a strong, um, or we have quite a strong junior uh, section from from eight up. So we we typically convert a lot of the um, all stars across into uh, sort of the junior junior players and, and work their way mm-hmm. up. And we have some of the junior players that you know almost you know all stars alumni come back and help. Um, you know, with some, you know, coach some of the younger ones as well because I think it's you know a lot easier when there's somebody you know closer to that the the age of the young people you know giving them their insight and help or they can relate to. So uh, yeah, you know, it's that that step forward um, as as we go and then to to grow up you know through the through the different age brackets and uh, gain more and more experience. That's brilliant. And then I guess eventually, you know, some of these young people will, I know a lot move around, you know, with schooling and college and things like that. But hopefully some of them will then feed up into the into the adult teams at some point, if not at Ashford, then, you know, carrying cricket with them in into their their lives, wherever it is they move on to. Yeah, you know, and there, there are also opportunities for them to, you know, get into, you know, county teams at their their own age brackets as well. So that you know, we, you know, they do see some really good talent, um, you know, even at a young level, um, and commitment and skill. And uh, you know, a lot of the the coaches that have got a, you know, a really good eye for this um, across, you know, various sports will look at and go, you know, every now and again, people come along that have got that skill, and it's like, right, let's, you know. Let's really help refine that and you know and and grow that. But also for those that are less skillful at it, um, you know, a lot of time spent, you know, helping them get the enjoyment as well. Yeah, and I think that I think that's where cricket does it better than some of the other sports. I know rugby and football maybe aren't as good at that, that you know, youngsters that don't make it into county teams can quite often then fall out of love with the game because they feel like they've just been tossed aside whereas i think cricket the the development is done in conjunction with the clubs rather than plucking them out into just a county setup i've always sort of looked as a rugby coach i've looked enviously at cricket and thought they do it better than we do in rugby at, at sort of age group levels yes, it, it, graham is there any point where you you know over the f- five years as it's become or you could say because i can remember my time in coaching with with adults but also the youngsters as well locally uh, with football uh, and you know there was probably a moment or two I could point to and say because of what happened just saying to myself I really love doing what I'm doing has there been an occasion where you've said that to yourself I'm really glad I did this or maybe many occasions I don't know yeah you know I think you know, as 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 we go through, and you know, you you start to see, you know, individual children, you know, of all abilities develop, and we always run a game at the end. Um, and as the as the eight weeks pass, it's 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 really very much, you know, the closer we get to the end, and you know, you see everybody being able to take, you know, even more active participation, you know, regardless of what skill level they've come in with, and you think, well. You know, we've just we've just moved them on. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's not always you know the stars getting better. It's the you know those that have come in with you know that maybe haven't had any exposure. 
that have got a root, you know, that have now left, you know, they may have experienced some teamwork, you know, they may have experienced the feeling of loss of a game, you know, for the first mm-hmm. time. You know, there's a whole raft of emotion and skill that, you know, getting pe- young people into sport at that age, you know, really brings. So, yeah, certainly as we get through and we get to the end of it, um, and you get some of the the exercises going really well where you know it and, you know, and the, and the kids get familiar with it, just, you know, seeing everybody being able to have a, you know, a good go and a good game is, you know, is a really good turning point. Brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. I really enjoyed the insight you've given us. Andy, any questions? Yeah, questions? just before we wrap up, Graham, if anyone's listening today and has thought, you know, yeah, that would be great for my children or my grandchildren or nieces, nephews, godsons, that sort of thing. How do they get in touch with the uh, ECB or to find their local club? What would be the best way that they can they can do that? Uh, ECB.co.uk, I believe, is the uh, website. And from there, you'll be able to find out about the All-Stars programme. So, mm. uh, or, you know, any good search engine, just, you know, type in Cricket All-Stars um, you put in your address and it will go off and they'll have different programs. Um, that goes through to the local clubs and they'll then get in touch with you. Fantastic. Graham, thanks ever so much. Uh, great great to reconnect uh, in person rather than just through uh, um, Facebook and social media. But thanks ever so much for your time today and for sharing with us your, your enthusiasm and, and love of the game that's grown through your coaching experience with all stars and uh yeah let's hope that it's a dry summer that everyone can enjoy enjoy a lot more cricket uh through it rather than the uh the, the wet spring that we've had indeed yes absolutely <laughs> and, uh, maybe our paths will cross at a uh, at a ground somewhere definitely I, I yeah hope, i hope so too graham thank you very much for your time tonight thank you for joining no us cheers mate thanks bye bye Lovely stuff. Yeah, well, a great insight into a world that I guess we don't know too much about. There's so much effort and work goes into. I know I've been being involved in local village cricket, but at that level with the juniors, I think it's kind of inspirational. And I hope other, that will trigger other people to do exactly as we've just been saying. Get hold of the ECB, check it out, because the All-Stars, uh, you know, I'd say ECB gets lots of criticism for all sorts of things. That's something that should be applauded that mm. Graham's been talking about tonight. So, yeah, good good stuff. Enjoy it? Definitely, yeah, really good to hear hear about the work that's being done. And as you say, yeah, you know, hopefully that can start to feed in and, uh, you know, more and more people getting back into these sort of team sports after a couple of years of not being able to through various lockdowns and restrictions. Brilliant for uh, people to be able to take it up. But yeah, what a great way to finish this week's ep- uh, episode. Yeah, indeed. Uh, 12 sports, as we talked about uh, tonight, 12 different sports. We really do enjoy bringing that range to you. That was our objective at the start of Null and Void. We're now 96 episodes in, but it just seems more stuff is coming at us. We love all of that. Uh, love being with you. Make sure you're with us. Look out for the contact details at the end of the podcast. Get hold of us personally or through those contacts and give us your opinions and thoughts we love hearing from you, but at a time and a place that suits you next week, we'll be with you then. See you later.
Bye. Cheerio, folks. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on nandv at forthenow.co.uk. 